I never get to a point in worship where it's my turn and I forget that it's my turn. In some ways, that's a good sign. That's what I wanted us to do today. To focus on worship. I've been in worship thousands of times in my life. You have too. You probably remember times where you were at a a gathering of people. Maybe it was a gathering that looked like this and you were just caught up in worship. You worship so much and you poured yourself so much into it that you weren't focused on anything else. Maybe you've done that at the side of a mountain. Maybe you've done that around a campfire or around Council Circle at Rock Springs Ranch. Maybe during the pandemic you did it on a couch with your family, just you and the Lord. You see, worship is is not necessarily about where you do it or even who you're with. It's about the one to all to whom all praise and glory and honor is due forever and ever that is what worship is about and that is what we're going to talk about today in our last of this series called good church and in this series we've really been focusing on the acts chapter 2 church so you'll want to turn to acts chapter 2 we'll be there in just a minute but the, the whole series, and if, you, if you're here and this is the first one you're getting or you're just watching online, uh, go download the podcast. Go check it out on Vimeo. Uh, because this is a whole series that culminates with today. And the idea that the church is so much bigger than a building. It's so much more than a place. It's a people gathered together. The ecclesia, the the assembled, the called out. You see, you and I today have been doing what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. We do something that matters. So, as we think about the series, a review, the first part of what we said in Acts 2, starting in verse 41 They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to doctrine, to God's word. So a good church is devoted to God's word. Not necessarily because they're devoted to the book itself, but because they're devoted to the author, the one who inspired the book. So a good church is devoted to God's word. A good church is devoted to one another. So take just a minute and stop looking at the preacher and look to your left. Go ahead. If you're looking at me, you're doing it wrong. Look to your left. Now now look to your right. Oh, you guys are getting a good neck workout today. I want you to do that because a good church needs to remember that it's important to be there for one another. David, Brenda, that's, that's a little too much looking there. They're so in love. <laughs> it is a beautiful thing. And the church is dedicated and should always be dedicated to one another. 
It's why I asked the song leaders to have maybe a song or two where we sing toward each other. Now, this morning as I did that, I was just watching faces. And it was, it was so beautiful to see. A lot of times I don't see your faces when I'm worshiping. I'm just focused on Brent's face or the slide or whatever. But that helps us to focus on one another. Can't you just picture what heaven's glory will be like with the Lamb at the center and all of God's people worshiping around that throne? Meaning that they'll always see Him, and as they see Him, they'll look across and see others, maybe Christians that left early in their life, maybe Christians that left just recently, maybe ones who have given their lives for the faith, but they'll look across the auditorium of heaven, if there's an auditorium in heaven. And they will see the Lamb, and they'll also see the followers of the Lamb. So a good church is devoted to the fellowship to one another. We said it's a good church is devoted to the breaking of bread. That, that what we do here in just a few minutes matters so much. And teenagers, in, in a very short number of years, and sooner than your parents want to happen, you're going to leave their home. And one of the great, <laughs> Gideon had a little praise and worship moment there himself. <laughs> Listen, you're going to leave home. And more than anything, your parents will worry, not about whether you'll make your bed, or about who you'll marry, or about the decisions you'll make. Oh, they'll worry about those things too, but they'll want to know that you've decided to follow Jesus and to be a part of his church. There are lots of churches out there, but not every church breaks bread every week. Very few, in fact. And I hope that when it comes time to decide, you'll find a church that's devoted to God's word and you'll find a church that's devoted to one another like you are in your youth group. But I really hope you'll find a church that's devoted to breaking bread every week. It's important. It's good for you. It's good for us. And finally, a good church is devoted to prayer, praying for one another, praying to the Lord, praying as we talked about in Ephesians 6 today, the prayer of supplication. Even the Apostle Paul asked for supplication, asked for prayers to be more bold. Isn't that amazing? So Apostle Paul needed the prayers of the church than you and I surely do as well. Finally, we look at this idea that a good church is devoted to worshiping together. If you are in your Bible, you're probably already there, because I ask you to turn there. Acts chapter 2, this picture of the early church. And I'm going to give you the full picture, okay? Verse 41, those who received, this is page 1168 in the Pew Bible, if you are following along. Acts two forty-one. those who received his word, Peter's word, okay? He's preached the gospel sermon. They've responded. Now, what do we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they've responded to that. Verse 41, those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You see, when when you're baptized, you are, that's not how you're saved, that's when you're saved, okay? When you respond, just as they did, 
you're baptized, you receive the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I've often said you receive two things at baptism. But there's a third thing, and that is in verse 41. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. You see, God adds souls to the church. When you were baptized into Christ, you didn't just receive the forgiveness of sins. You didn't just receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those two things are true. But also, you were added to the body of Christ. And that's a blessing. You don't join a church. You don't get saved. You're added to the church at that moment. And it was important for them. And it's important for us. So may we not forget. Now, verse 42 Let's look at what the church did. They were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders were being done to the apostles. I just want to capture that one word. And awe came upon every soul. Unfortunately, we don't use that word. Or when we do, we use it in the wrong context. I I do this myself, so I'm not judging anyone about how many things I say are awesome. Man, that sunrise is awesome. Man, uh, this chicken sandwich tastes awesome. Man, that, that, that game was awesome. And, and I treat that mercifully, one, because I do it, but, But you see, when we make everything awesome, sometimes we make nothing awesome. And so when we come to worship, it can be just a very commonplace, ordinary, regular, just going through the motions, just check off the order on the worship, and just be in worship, but not be worshiping. You ever been there? Awe came upon every soul. Can you imagine it at Pentecost? Those new Christians, I just imagine them dripping wet coming out of the water and watching 2,999 other people coming to Christ. They're all gathered around. Surely there must have been singing. No doubt there was praying. But can you just get a sense of, of that first group? And as they came out of the water, there was probably just this holy wow moment. This wow. Look what God is doing. Wow, look what God, what God showed up in a, such a mighty way. And we continue, verse 47, day by day they attended the temple together. Why? Because they had to? Because it was a legalistic requirement? Because they just, I'm going to church because I've got to go to church and be there. Got to go and be there, be there. Now let's get it over with, come on. No. They did it because they wanted to. They wanted to be a part of the holy awe. It says they did this day by day. They were at the temple together, breaking bread. There it is again, in their homes. They received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And look at verse 47 again. The Lord added. To their number, day by day, those who are being saved. It's a beautiful picture as we think about the early church and how important worship was to them. In our culture, sometimes churches work on 
manufactured awe, if I can say that. We've, we've got laser machines. We've got, we've got you know, music so loud that you can't hear yourself sing. Got fog machines. We got cool lighting. And it's all manufactured. That wasn't this. That wasn't these people. This wasn't an extrinsically designed experience. It was an internally attitude of the heart of expression of of thankfulness and praise and glory and honor to the one who truly orchestrated it, the Lord himself. It wasn't manufactured. It was was intrinsically, it's where it started. And so we need to understand the importance of it for them and also for us. And that's the first thing that we need to understand. You and I were created to worship. And in Genesis 1, it says that we are made in God's image. The imagio Dei. The, 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 there's part of a human being that is divine and eternal in nature. That's different from every other part of the created world it's different from these uh, the, the, the common beasts. We're not all the same. Adam and Eve and, and all of their descendants were part of something divine. Solomon would say he placed eternity in the hearts of men. That means there's something you and I that, that, that need. You've heard it described as a God-shaped hole in your heart. Okay, if you want to put it that way, fine. You and I are designed to worship. There's something in us that desires to worship that which is larger than ourselves. And everyone does it, even if they don't realize that they do it. Some worship at the things below, and they see sunsets and Forests and mountains and beautiful streams. and They see the, the earth and the fullness thereof. And, and something within them is stirred up. And, and, and they, they want to worship it. There's, there's this holy awe toward created things. And, and, and they, they pour themselves out. They will call the earth their mother. They want to save it. They want to worship it. Some look not to the things below, but to the things above. And they look at the the heavens which declare the glory of God. And they, they see the stars and the planets. And some people get up every day and read where those stars and planets are going to be aligned, and look unto them for the direction of their hearts and their lives. And the Scripture calls us not to worship the things below or the things above. But most of us, if we're honest, 
fall prey to the hardest kind of idol to avoid, we fall on our knees and worship at the altar of ourselves. We think about us and we orient life toward us and we think only about us and we put us at the center of the world. We put us at the center of the Bible. We put us on the altar of everything and God forgive us. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Scripture calls us not to worship things below, not to worship things above, not even to worship things within. Scripture calls you to see all of these things, the things below, the things above, and the things within, and, in, and respond to that by glorifying the one who made all things. The one who made the things below, the things above, and the things within. Not to worship those things, but to worship the one who created those things. Let's go to Psalm chapter 8. The psalmist David says, O Lord, O Lord. This is page 570. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the babes of, out of the mouth of babes, babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avengers. Look what he says. Look at David's response on a clear night, wherever he wrote this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? that you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him. You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, that whenever whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, is your name in all the earth. You see, when you come to a moment of holy awe, there are two directions that you can go. You can't help holy awe. The the, the most ardent atheist and unbeliever and skeptic still has a sense of holy awe. He can drive down the road and he'll be seeing a sunset and he'll be overwhelmed by a sense of awe. He doesn't know where that comes from or why he does it. He can't even help himself. It is reflexive muscle memory for the soul to give awe to the things which God has done. You can go two directions. Romans chapter 1, speaking of the godlessness of mankind. Romans chapter 1, page 1204. In enlisting out all the sins... He gets to this one, Paul does, verse 25, he says, here was their chief, here was their chief sin. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. So we have to be careful. You were created to worship, 
You can't help but do that. You're going to worship something, the the earth and everything within it. You're going to bow down. You're going to try to save it. You're going to try to worship it. You're you're going to look around. Maybe you're going to worship yourself, your money, your title, your prestige, your power, your influence, your connections. You're going to worship something about you. You're going to look up above and look to the heavens and the stars and all of creation above and worship that and orient your life toward that and all of those are in precisely the wrong direction. Be like David, who looked at all those things, was filled with holy awe, and poured it out toward God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When responding to Satan while being tested, Jesus, the Son of God, said this, and I I thought it was interesting because Satan tempts him with all of these things. Things above, things below, even things within. In Luke chapter 4, page 1103, verse 7, the enemy says, If you then will worship me. It will all be yours. And how does Jesus, the precious Lamb of God, respond only in the perfect way? Verse 8, Jesus answered, it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. You see, you were designed to worship. The question is what you will worship. But I will tell you, Scripture will tell you, that God alone is worthy of our worship and our praise and our adoration forever and ever. Can we pray for just a minute? Father, Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us for times when we've looked at the created things and failed to acknowledge your might and your glory and power and majesty and holiness Of you, the only creator. And Father, we give you praise and glory right now. Please tear down the idols of our heart. Please tear down anything in our lives that has received our worship besides you. Father, we confess to you the things of our heart which have been in the way. Knock down the idols, Father. We pray that you might forgive us. And that as we worship this morning, that you would receive our worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. God alone is worthy of our worship, which leads us to a second aspect of worship, and that is this. Worship is designed to be He-centered. What I mean by that is God-centered, not me-centered. Worship is not about you at all. Yeah, I, I, I know, I know, you have your favorite hymns. I know, I know some of you like the new songs and some of you like the old songs. I know you have your favorite speakers. I really like when this guy talks. I, I really like hearing from that guy. I know you have your favorite scriptures that have so much meaning to you. Uh, I'm not saying that, that, that those things don't happen in worship. But when you come to worship the almighty God of heaven, the King of kings, may you forget you. And give glory to God 
Worship isn't about you or me at all. Turn to a couple of scriptures from the New Testament. Colossians. Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 16, page 1,262. Colossians 3.16. Verse 15 starts, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word, note this, let the word of Christ, Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Let the word of Christ, sermons should not be a spiritual pep talk. Sermons should be based in the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ not just be taught, but dwell in you. The word shouldn't just be open once a week. The word should be in your heart every day of the week. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What does he say? Because that's your favorite song? Because that was what you loved to hear growing up? No. What does it say? Look, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. God. That's the focus of our worship. God is the audience. You are not the audience. I know for this setup you are. Okay. But worship in our heart is to an audience of one. How has he heard your worship this morning? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19 and following. Addressing, this is page 1,254, Ephesians 5.19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, where? To the Lord, with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say, worship isn't about you. If you come to get something out of worship, you have entirely misunderstood the purpose of worship. It is to pour out your soul to the one who created it. And to worship him and him alone. What we do matters here. Because what we do will matter in eternity. Worship. Worship is this holy moment. The Bible does not tell us in detail about heaven. It gives us some glimpses. You'll think about this. Um, the, the windows in the back of the, the, the doors in the auditorium. Now, now you can be in the foyer. And maybe you've done this. And you've looked in the windows to see what was happening. And you got a picture of it. But you didn't get the whole thing. You were just getting a glimpse of it. That's what Scripture does with heaven. It's like we in Scripture are getting this picture of heaven. Just a glimpse, but not the whole thing. Now, what's interesting to me is that what we do here in worshiping the King of Kings, the Almighty, the the Maker, the Creator of heaven and earth, is this. We 
are joining them somewhere on the outskirts of eternity in the celestial realm somewhere. There is a gathering, not of flesh and blood, but of spirits who pour themselves out. Some of them you know, millions of which you don't know. But Revelation chapter 5 gives us a picture. So let's go to the window of the door and take a peek inside of the throne room. Revelation chapter 5 verse 11 and following. Then I looked and I heard around the throne. This is page 1315 if you... You want to highlight this. I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads with thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory. And blessing. And I heard every creature. Can you imagine? And I heard every creature in heaven. And on earth. And under the earth. And in the sea. And all that is in them saying. To him who sits on the throne. And to the lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Can you hear it? Can you hear it in your mind's ear? Can you hear it in your soul? Can you look through and hear the gathering? I know we don't all have the same translation, but I want to encourage you. Let's read this together. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. That's the Pew Bible. We're going to read that part, verse 13, that they were all saying together. The part that begins with, to him. Let's read this together. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Let's do it again. To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. It's a beautiful picture. This is but a drop in the ocean of what eternity will be like someday. And you and I, have the honor of taking part of it. And what we do today connects us to the church of yesterday, to the saints of old, and to the church of tomorrow. I was thinking about this as I was driving down the road with my daughter. Grace turned 11 this past week. We, she had a volleyball game, but afterward we were going to celebrate birthday dinner. She picked Texas Roadhouse. So she picked Texas Roadhouse. I know. Pray for her. Pray for her. It's not the place we go. She decides to ride with me. She's in the back seat. I'm talking to her, asking her how it feels to finally be 11, what it's like. Then we turn the, car, the conversation towards something that was interesting. See, I'm 43. I said, Grace, you and I will always be 32 years apart. So today, you're 11, and I'm 43. And someday, when you're 43, I'll be 75. And when you're 75, I'll be 107. When I'm 107, 
I'm sorry, when you're 107, I'll be 139. And when you're 139, I'll be 171. I was being silly, of course, and the more that I went with that, the more that she giggled in the back seat. And she said, oh, Daddy, you'll be in heaven long before then. (laughs) And you know, she's right. You see, today, I worship in this room with my son, my daughter, my wife. But it won't always be that way, will it? Someday, I don't know when, some of our family will begin to leave, one at a time. And maybe some of you have had people here who are no longer here, but there. You, you come to worship and you think about them not being here anymore. But it's not that they're not here. Oh, they're still doing what we do here, but they're doing it there. Worship bridges the gap between God's people of the here and now to God's people of eternity. Do you understand that the people who understand this the most are those who've lost someone. Oh, you haven't lost them. <laughs> You're still connected. And worship is about the Lord, but it gives me great courage to know that what I do here today is what I'll do there tomorrow and in eternity. And someday when I'm not here, I pray to God that my family is here or with God's people somewhere doing what I'll be doing there. In worship, we bridge the gap between earth and eternity. We, we bridge the gap between the land of the dying, which is here, to the land of the eternally living, which is there. What we do here is in part, just in part, just a small part, Of what they do there. I don't worship any longer with my grandmother. With my great aunt. With my great uncle. With the people who influence my walk. But they still worship together. What I'm doing here is what they're doing there. The God of all creation has has connected in worship the people of earth and the people of eternity together in one holy, majestic moment where we worship and we not forget to give Him glory because what He's done is a glorious thing. And the worship worship isn't about you or me or about anything that we want. It's centered on one thing, and that's the Lamb. Hebrews 12, 28. I hope you'll open to your Bible. I know it's on the screen, but you'll want to mark that verse down because it's important scripture on worship. The writer of Hebrews says this. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. 
today, we worship the Lamb together. And if you're watching online, I'm, I'm, I kind of feel bad for you today. I, I know that you're missing out, but I'll tell you, for as good as our online streaming is, what you're experiencing there pales in comparison to what we're doing here together. And someday, we'll worship the Lamb apart. But even further still, eventually, we'll worship the Lamb together again. So let us now worship the Lamb of God together and in spirit and truth. Because we were made to worship, but God alone is worthy of our worship. Let let the time that we have remaining of worship not be about us, but about Him. Not about me, but about He. And may we remember the eternal connection we have with those on the other side.